The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in. Equity Bank sponsored series today where we talk about entrepreneurship and leadership. Today on the show, Eric Maddox is on the show. Great conversation. Eric, in 2003, collected the intelligence which led to the exact location of Saddam Hussein, the famous ace of spades in that infamous deck of cards. His technique shaped the future of intelligence collection for the military and civilians around the world. I love talking to Eric about this. I learned a great deal of empathy, how to listen, how to lead. Uh, The Marine Corps is a very loving organization. I've talked about it before. This preconceived notion that we have about the military and how they teach leadership how they teach us how to listen. There's a lot of empathy. There's a lot of love in the leadership style that is prevalent in the leadership of today's military. A lot of people don't think that, but it is. Eric shares that technique. We talk about it, this empathy-based listening that he has kind of perfected, that he listened or he kind of uh, gained expertise in while he was an interrogator in the military. He likes to share that technique with people and companies all around the world. He's an inspirational speaker. He's an author. He's a consultant, and he's a negotiator. This empathy-based listening that he talks about, it teaches us that trust is the most important element in all relationships. And that is a foundation of leadership, is it not? It is all about trust, right? I mean, if we are theory Y advocates, which I am on this show, I don't subscribe to theory X-based thinking. We have to be, if we're going to be effective leaders in today's world, if we're going to be effective leaders in a chaotic environment, we have to be theory Y. And empathy-based listening is all about it. It teaches us that trust is the most important element. When you have trust, you turn clients and customers into champions, you turn them into advocates, you turn them into super fans, you gain and you maximize influence. That's what it's all about, right? Leadership is all about influence. And really, there's no other skill needed more to improve every aspect of your personal and professional life. That is why emotional quotient, emotional intelligent intelligence is so important in today's leadership. And it is a skill that you can work on. And that's why I like talking with Eric on today's show. You're really going to enjoy and get some value-based nuggets in this conversation. This show is brought to you by Equity Bank. I'm really proud to be associated with them. They've been a great supporter of this show. And I like their philosophy. Right? Their team knows what it takes to start and grow a business. They're all about self-starters, individualism, entrepreneurship, influence, what it means to be a leader, it's been exciting to watch them grow. Equity's growing into one of the fastest banks, fastest growing banks in the Midwest. They're now listed on the NASDAQ exchange. They have locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. And clearly, I think this team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. They're all about growth. And the other thing I like about them, too, if, depending on when you're listening to the show, but 
They are the official bank of pets. And you know, if you listen to my show, you know how many pets I have. Two horses now, four dogs, five cats, two guinea pigs. It's like Dr. Doolittle's house over here. But Equity Bank is the official bank of pets. And they're pet people, and you must be too. And if you want to help spread happiness to the pets in need, now through October 31st, 2019, when you open a new checking account, they will make a $25 donation to a local pet charity. Another reason to check out my friends at Equity Bank, equitybank.com. All right, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Eric Maddox here on this Equity Bank-sponsored episode on Dose of Leadership. Eric Maddox, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Richard. I'm excited to talk to you. Anytime I talk to a fellow veteran, it's always fun. It's always a meaningful and engaging conversation. So, uh, again, how passionate are you about leadership before we even get started? Well, as you know, as a veteran um, in the military, it, success is all about leadership. That's kind of the, the what it's about to be in the military, especially if you you know go to deployments, go on these battles, these war zones that our troops have been facing for the last eighteen years. It's going to be unknown, and leadership is about dealing with unknown situations. I love it. So I, I'm always curious about how you got started. You know, when people, it's funny when um, I got out of the Marine Corps, there's a lot of people that assumed I joined the Marine Corps because I needed money for college, but that's not why I joined the Marine Corps, right? I wanted to be part of something bigger than yourself. Why did you decide to jump into the foray in the military route? I think I had very similar reasons. You know, I, I didn't need money for college. I had just graduated from University of Oklahoma with my bachelor's degree. And people always wonder, why did you enlist? And for me, the enlisted soldier, sort of that grunt infantry guy was was the type of service member that I idolized. I'm very patriotic. I love my country. I really didn't know how else I could show it than to say, I'm going to take a job that doesn't pay very well. Probably going to be difficult. I don't even know if I'm cut out for this, but I'm going to give three and a half years of my life. So that's kind of why I did it. And so coming out of it, even, you know, I always say when someone has even a, no matter what their experience, both good or positive, I'm assuming you got, you took some positive away from it, but I didn't realize how much the military experience taught me until I was away from it. What about you? So I did have a very positive experience. Obviously, nothing in life is, is absolutely perfect. But what I look back and I find amazing is the amount of responsibility that we put on such oh, yeah. young service members. I mean, you look at some of these guys are, are 20 years old and they're sergeants or they're lance corporals or they're corporals. And it's so amazing. You know, my biggest deployment was tracking down Saddam in 2003. I was 31 years old and yeah. my Delta force commander, he was a major, he was 33 years old. And those, and you think about, we put such responsibility to su such a young age. And it's amazing how much responsibility you can take if it's put on you. Yeah, it is amazing. And it's twofold. I think a lot of times people who obviously haven't experienced it, we take it for granted because we're there. But when you get away from it, that was one of the things that I realized when I was away from it, that how reluctant people were, wanting to give away accountability to those around them or responsibility, delegated authority to those around them. It was amazing. And I'm like, are you kidding me? There are people that, you know, are 20, 21, 22 that literally have 
are making life and death decisions, <laughs> literally life and death decisions that can literally change yep. the, po- the the foreign policy of the United States. If some 20-year-old Lance Corporal makes some gooned up decision, right? I mean, it can literally change the entire foreign policy of the United States, right? I mean, it, it, it's so incredible. And I'm going to add to that. You know, I, it was some Russian, I don't know, it was a retired general or that was former uh, Soviet Union. And he said the hardest thing about fighting the U.S. or planning to fight the U.S. is they're so unpredictable. And they're so unpredictable because they give so much decision-making authority down the chain of command. So uh, a buck sergeant or a lieutenant or a captain will make different decisions in the same situation as his counterpart because we allow them to and we don't keep them in such strict rules. And so imagine not only does that give those leaders accountability, but it also gives them ownership on the process. And when you give somebody ownership, that's what leadership is. It's like yeah. you're, you're not doing a part of this. This is you. This is you now. I love that you said that. And you know, I think that a lot of people don't fully appreciate uh, when they look at the military, they think it's this um, top-down command and control hierarchical organization that is, I gave an order and damn it, you're going to follow it. My experience was the exact opposite. I was given a tremendous amount of latitude and freedom. Um, and it was around this idea of intent, right? If the senior leadership focused on what they want to accomplish and why, they really did leave the how. When it was all working and all firing and all cylinders, how it's supposed to work, Um the middle and below that, that staff NCO and below was really the engine that made everything work. And, um, it, it's a beautiful combination. And I think a lot of people just think, you know, the general sitting in the ivory tower barking orders and, and we're mind numb robots just following it. What was your experience? It's why the United States military is so effective. It's you just said it, but it's called commander's intent. And it basically says, this is what I need you to do. Charge the hill. Well, you go straight up the hill you can go around the back side of the hill you can go under you figure out how to take the hill that my intent is this but i'm not going to tell you how to do it yeah and when you do that you um you bring energy to your subordinates and you give them life and, and an, an opportunity to create and be entrepreneurs and it's so funny and people are like entrepreneur military <laughs> i mean come on do you think that when we go to combat, everything is just the way it's never the way we planned it. Never. Yeah. So let's make sure our, our subordinate leaders know when things go messed up, you get to decide it's your job to figure out how to solve the problem. Yeah. That example of give, you know, taking the hill is a perfect one, right? It's like, if I tell you, you know, Eric, I want you to take this hill and here's why. And I take the time in the investment of time to tell you why this is important. You're taking that hill. Then you um, have that ownership. You have that accountability and it unleashes that entrepreneurial spirit, if you will, because you know the importance of why I want you to take it. Right. That's exactly correct. And you know, my story and I'm sure you'll get maybe get into it, but I'm an interrogator. And for me, um, I couldn't get the prisoners to open up and cooperate using the old army tactical sort of conventional military techniques. But I, people are saying, wow, you were so creative. That was amazing. And I say, that's what the, the army didn't tell me use these techniques. The army said, 
gain cooperation. Here's the best we know at this time. But if Eric, those don't work, you have to use your creativity yeah, right. to gain cooperation. And I knew the army had allowed me to do that. So I, I didn't feel like I was swimming upstream. I just simply was doing what I knew the intent was. I love that. You know, let's talk about the interrogation side. I, I, I do want to get into the story of uh, Saddam Hussein's capture. And, um, but you, you, looking at your website and looking at your bio, one thing that you talk a lot about, and even before we even started the recording, this, this whole idea of empathetic listening, I'm sure that came from your negotiation uh, tactics and techniques. I, I can't agree with you more from a leadership perspective and working in the corporate arena and this ability to listen with empathy. I think if a, a leadership skill that everybody needs is, is, or to be, my point is if to be an effective leader in today's world, your, your emotional quotient has to be extremely high. And for your emotional quotient to be high, you have to understand what it means to empathetically listen. Talk to me about that. So the power of empathy-based listening as a leader, when I, what I want to do is to change the way we, we deem the importance of listening. So some people might say, Eric, we need to be good listeners because that way we understand people and therefore we can make better decisions based on knowing their situation. And I tell them that's all good and well, but that should be a collateral benefit. The benefit of listening with empathy is that when you demonstrate that in front of an individual that I'm listening exclusively to understand your situation, you gain a level of trust with that individual that is more powerful than any other trust you can gain. And all I need to do is everyone around me that's associated with me, whether a prisoner, a subordinate, a colleague, or a partner, I need them to trust me. Yeah, I, It's the absolute most important thing. And then I can send you off. If you can trust me, then I'm going to send you off because when somebody trusts another person, do you know they go out of their way to please them? They go out of their way to accomplish their goals. They gain accountability. So we don't have to force that on anyone because when you look at someone and go, I trust them blindly. There's nobody in this world I trust more. That's the person I, I want to work for. Well, that's all I want to create with everyone around me. Mm -hmm. So when I say do this listening for this reason, it's not just to understand someone. It's to gain their trust. Yes. You know, I think that if we, I think that is the number one task of any leader, new leader is, and I don't think people fully appreciate the power of trust. I mean, I know on the surface level, we understand how important trust is and how easily it can be broken. Um, but I think it should be the number one priority, particularly of new leaders. Too often we rely on the positional authority aspect of it, the position, the rank, where the office is located, where my parking spot is. But if we made it our mission intentionally every single day to how can I get these people to trust me more, it would certainly change um, or at least give you pause and time to think of how I'm going to react and what, what my actions are going to be, right? And, it, and, and focusing on trust doesn't mean getting people to like you necessarily. Getting people to trust you is, is all about respect more than, than liking, right? And so the actions of, of how do I get this person to trust me and treat it like the precious gold that it is, uh, knowing that it can disappear in an instant, right? So, so I'm going to, I'm going to, first of all, 
want to agree with several things you said. Trust is not about liking, right? right? So when people say, Eric, you get your prisoners to trust you, I say yes. And they say, oh, you build rapport. I said, not if rapport has anything to do with liking. People think rapport is becoming friends and having, right. and I'm like, no, 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 no. But when you talk, I'm going to, I'm going to point into one thing. So I want to peel this on you a little bit more. When you say trust is about respect. Well, when you say respect, I respect a leader. I trust that leader. And why do people respect a leader? Most of the time they respect the leader because they know this leader is going to make decisions based on integrity, intelligence. And what I say is I said, yeah, that's okay. Right. Because those are good leaders. When you know that leader is going to make and it's almost like I tell people that leader has a wake of success and you want to fall in that wake. And I say, but you're only going to get the crumbs. And is when you fall in the, when you follow that type of leader, there's a certain level of respect there. I said, but imagine being the leader to where not only do you have integrity, but if, if your subordinates truly in their heart, know you make decisions fully understanding to best benefit those subordinates. There, there's a different level of leadership than someone who says, oh, yeah, that leader's awesome. They're great. They're fantastic. I'm going to get behind them and kind of enjoy the success that they're going to create for us all versus my leader blazes a path for us. This is incredible. This guy doesn't look at, or gal doesn't look at their goals but the needs of their subordinates first. Right. I truly believe that is even a greater level of trust. Yeah. The sacrificial side of it, right? It's the agape love where I sacrifice so that you may prosper. That's the level of leadership you're talking about there, right? I, I get, you know what? I don't like to, I'll be honest with you, Richard. I don't like to use the word sacrifice because I'm going to say when you become that level of leader and you can gain that level of trust, who's really the winner? Yeah, you're right. It's, you're, it's the leader. I know, the right? Ha- Come on. It's, we're sacrificing to gain maximum power, influence, and authority. So let's not say we're over here just being good Samaritans. Yeah, you, you, no, I, I, know exa- I know exactly what you're saying, right? Because you, you hear that term sacrifice, you think, you know, here I am, the pious, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, starving peasant giving all my food. No, you, you yeah, I like how you phrase that. You're right. I mean, in the end, but it's, I guess on the surface, it, I'm taking my time. I'm putting the needs of you. I'm putting my time, effort, energy, and love into you so that you can prosper. And in, in return, and so I'm doing that. And I think our kind of unconscious self and the way that we're kind of programmed, we think that we're giving something up. But in the reality, all those buckets, all those things I'm chasing get exponentially filled if I'm doing that, right? And so that initial sacrifice, I'm saying air quotes, is really the only path to me towards abundance, right? Does that make sense? And so, yeah. It's totally, that's it, right? It's, it's, I would say it's an investing and patient leader. Yeah. It, yeah. It's an investment. Right. And maybe sacrifice. I like that because maybe the sacrifice is the wrong, because it, it does denote, like you said, that I'm not going to get anything out of this. And actually it's the only way to a truly abundant, successful path. Right. It, if that it. makes sense. Yeah. And which is the true definition of love, by the way. Right. 
And that's why I say, and I've said that the Marine Corps for me was the most loving organization because of what we just said. Because it wasn't about me. As the officer, it wasn't about me. Right? It was everything I did was for the subordinates. Everything we did as a collective was for that 17-year-old trigger puller that was kicking down doors. Right? Right. And so, in a sense, you felt like you were sacrifice you know your ego set aside and i guess that's the, that's I, I suppose that's the words the word sacrifice is like an egocentric word right and our egos think we're sacrificing but a true leader like to what you're talking about the level is they realize they're not really sacrificing this is the only way it's just the way right the obstacle is the way the sacrifice is the way it's the only way i mean if you're a leader of 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 a group of individuals and you want to maximize their potential, you tell me how you best do it. And somebody, I want somebody to show me a better way to do it than to lead from the mindset of every decision, every thought, every action should be at the purpose of understanding and, and addressing the needs and goals of your subordinates. Yeah. Show me, show me a better way. There isn't. I mean, it's, it's been proven that it it hasn't. But that, but why is it so difficult? Do you think? Why do we not? Why don't we trust that process? Why is it so difficult for me to pour my life into you, my subordinate? Great question. It's almost like that's front loaded. Okay, so <laughs> I think even okay. So let's start with the some of the easy reasons is. So a lot of leaders are selfish. A lot of leaders um, want short-term uh, uh, gratitude um, and rise to authority. And a lot of them don't understand that, you know, just because I put the seed in the ground that eventually it's going to grow a tree and fruit. And, 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 and that it's like, whoa, whoa, I just want to keep them in my pocket, right? But, but let's say then, let's get to the leaders who say, no, no, I do want to do this. Here's where the problem comes. Leaders that want to do this thing, what they do is they go, okay, I am dealing with 20, 18, 19-year-old young service members. I remember when I was that age and here's what I needed. Yet what they don't understand is we're all different. We all come from different backgrounds. We have different needs. Things are going on differently. And to discover what each individual's needs are, we have to engage and listen to them minus our biases, minus our preconceived notions, minus our agenda. Because otherwise, how are you going to understand the need? You're going to have to make assumptions put people in boxes and there's nothing more frustrating when somebody feels like my commander truly believes or my boss believes he's doing me right. This is not what I need. Yeah. The key is, as you said, there is in what you're saying and what I'm hearing you say is this is about getting rid of your ego and understanding how powerful the ego is in just everyday life. It's, you know, it's so, it's just a, it feels like it's a part of you, but understanding the ego really isn't you. And somehow it's getting past that. And to do that, the listening with empathy and doing everything and it's throwing away the ego. What do you think about when you hear that? Um, I say, absolutely. And I think that's why your ego, I mean, but, but ego, 
ego comes in several different forms and ego is the thing we know the most and ego is always with us. So it's a lot easier said than done. Well, that's, uh, that's why it's so hard because it's so, we don't realize how powerful until you intentionally start working on it, how powerful the ego really is. And I think that's why the leadership side of it is so hard because I can even tell you and I can even say it and I might even believe it for a minute that I'm doing this all for you but there's a selfish side of me that says, okay, well, I'm doing all these things. I'm hoping to get something in return. And the, so and the key is not I lo- – go ahead. I'm sorry to jump in, but I want to say – I want to stop you right there, Richard, because what I want to tell people is, yes, it is all for you, and I don't want you to apologize for it. I want to look at young leaders and leaders and say, you know what? I want you to do this thing, and you're going you're gonna to reap all the gain. You're going to get all the benefit. Yeah. You're going to be the most powerful. So don't feel like, wait, I don't sacrifice in this heart. You're not sacrificing. You're becoming better. That's right. Right. So, so right. if you say the pot of gold's bigger, if you do this, it's a lot easier to get somebody to go, okay, so tell me about this empathy thing. Yeah. Again. Right. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. I like that. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest-growing banks by working side-by-side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Let's talk about the, um, you write about it in your book, Mission Blacklist One. Um, we'll talk about the, the Saddam Hussein thing. I mean, it's a it's a great story. I want to hear it. Sure. So, <clears throat> 2003, United States invades Iraq. Um, military Department of Defense created that deck of playing cards as kind of our most wanted list in the war. Saddam was the ace of spades. I had been in the military for nine years. Coming into 2003, had never been to war. Uh, interrogator. But I'd never done interrogations because along with being an interrogator, I was a Chinese Mandarin linguist. So most of my work was working as intelligence collection against the Chinese in non-interrogation platforms, right? Just taking info against the Chinese. When we were going to war in Iraq, we put we assigned the Joint Special Operations Command the task of finding Saddam. That's Delta Force, right? right. And the, all their subordinate supporters. And there was this group, and they, after a few months, decided they needed interrogators. And the Joint Special Operations Command, they didn't have internal 
inter- they didn't have organic interrogators. I got the call unknowingly and said, you're going to join this group that tracks down the people on the deck of cards, which was very odd for me because I'd never done interrogations, never been to war. And when I got there, they said, well, we picked you because you have a infantry background. You'd been to Rangers. You're a graduate of Ranger school. You know, you can kind of walk this walk. I was immediately sent to a Delta force team in Crete, And as I said, the interrogations techniques didn't work for me. I was fortunate that I was by myself as an interrogator and I was with all these operators, but I didn't have to have interrogators say, no, no, use the old techniques. And I will tell you the old techniques, zero sum game, intimidation, fear. They don't teach torture. They didn't condone torture, but they, but it was still an intimidation factor. And I said, this isn't going to work. So my technique, I started figuring out that if I talk to these guys, I can sort of, gain their trust a little bit. And then I said, wait a second, if I really talk to them and listen to them, they really start to open up. And I was able to gain cooperation, get prisoners to give us a few targets. We'd gather, this team would go on raids. We would get more prisoners. After four months, we had mapped out the link, uh, the insurgency in this town of Tikrit, figured out who the number one guy was. And I had felt like if we captured him, he could take us to Saddam. On December 13, 2003, we finally tracked down this head bodyguard that was running the insurgency. I did my interrogation, and in two hours, he broke. Hmm. And he said, I know where he is. I will take you. And he actually said, but we have to go right now because he's going he's gonna to move if he finds out I'm captured. He was uh, taken by the Delta Force team that I was with. They took him on that raid on December 13, 2003, and he took them exactly to the hole. Wow. All based on getting with that bodyguard and getting him to break in two hours. How did you get him to break, do you think? Well, the fortunate thing was being after him for so long, and I had done 300 interrogation. And it was sort of our strategy was start at the bottom, have one prisoner take you to the next level, to the next level. Well, when you do this, you get to know people at each level. And at each level, I was starting to understand and get a different psychological profile of this bodyguard. This is his name was Muhammad Ibrahim. So by the time I was face to face with him, A, I knew him. I, I, I literally could empathize with him without him even saying a word. So that was a great benefit. B, Saddam Hussein forced this bodyguard to get his entire family involved in the insurgency. We had captured, my team had captured 40 of his family members. Wow. And I told him, I, and he knew me well enough. Like he knew there was an interrogator with this Delta team who was kind of tracking down that I would help him. Like he knew that was my game. And I made it very clear. I said, all 40 go home. I mean, go home tomorrow, but you've got to take us. And I told him, I said, and you know, when we get him, if it's not because of you, you don't get anything because they were in the insurgency, those 40, you got them in trouble. You can get them out this way. If you do not give us these, this, this, Saddam, 
I couldn't help you if I wanted to. And that actually gave him a sense of urgency. I love it. And so no force, no coercion or no, you know, no, no is this trying to get him, you know, empathizing with him, trying to get him to, you know, that you care about his family or given the perception that, you know, this is, you're giving him control, right? You're giving him control I, of his I, outcome. So, so I like the word control. I love the word control better than, than empathizing. No, I do use the word empathy, but I just don't want it to be confused with sympathy. No, okay? I understand. It's like you're trying to put empathy means you, and that's why the emotional quotient is so important because you're allowed to put yourself in his situation. And by doing that, you come up with a solution, you know, that you can understand that, wow, Sodom had his family, you know, forced him to join the insurgency. He's got 40 family members and you're trying to put yourself in his shoes and what he'd be thinking right now. Right. That's what empathy That's, is. That yeah. Exactly. Correct. And also the, the, where the empathy came in was saying, you created this mess. Right. You get to clean up this mess. Yes. But you know Saddam will move quickly. We have to go now. Oh, by the way, we're never going to give up. So so question number one, are we going to get Saddam? Prisoner in his mind goes, yeah, eventually you're going to. Question number two, are you going to be the reason? If not, you get nothing. If you do, you get everything. So this is inevitable. Do you want the benefit of an inevitable event? Right. And in understanding his role, instead of sitting there here, I'm going to, you know, put matchsticks under your fingernails or whatever, or threaten him with the empathy allowed you to get into his head, right? And see that. Okay. If I would have tortured him, would he have believed this just be realistic if i sit there and start just torturing this guy would he believe if he gave me saddam that i would have released his family no no and so actually when you torture a prisoner such as this they actually like it it makes them feel as though they're getting the punishment they deserve yeah. for getting their entire family. And therefore you, 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 you don't gain a friend and they also, you know what they also do in their mind? They're going to think these Americans are bad. Yeah. I have no regret for killing so many of them right now. I'm now I'm justified in hating them. Right. But when I look at them and go, Hey man, I don't want to be here, but we're never leaving until we get that guy. And by the way, I have nothing against you. He made you do it. I'm going to get you out of here and I'm getting them out of here. He's the only one I want. Here's your shot. It's all you, you get, it's all in your hands now. Yeah. I love it. And so taking those lessons, how does that help us or how does it help me become a better leader running, um, managing my best buy? First of all, 
I would say, let's start from the beginning. Said, what was the key to my success in, in being an interrogator? Number one is by saying, you know what? Just because you've you've been told this is the way things are always done in this industry, that times are changing. Every industry across the world is changing, and you've got to keep your eyes open and go. Wait, the old ways not the most effective. Do we need to pivot? Okay. What are the reasons? How do we pivot? That's number one. Number two is you've got to understand who are all the decision makers, okay? Because the ultimate decision maker in my entire mission was the enemy. Mm -hmm. Yet, so I had to stop and go, wait, wait, this isn't personal. This is not me having an argument about whether it's right or wrong about this war or whether Saddam was good or bad. This is about me trying to figure out this individual and I, we can help each other. Let's put our emotions down. Let's put our differences down and let's figure out where we can meet in the middle. But guess what? I have to step first. I've got to come straight to the middle and maybe even step over to them. And that's what a lot of leaders won't do. They'll go, well, you take the first step. If they'll do it, then I'll do it. If they'll compromise, I'll, it's like, wait, that's the, of course, who wouldn't do that? Right. The challenge is you have to step forward, but you, you, you got to then once you create this new playing field and we've changed the paradigm in your mind, now you've got to gain the trust of all your team to change the paradigm. So, so what I had to do, wait a second, I'm a staff sergeant in the army. I'm an Intel nerd and I'm dealing with Delta force operators and I've got to get them to follow me. I mean, Richard, do you think I went and said, hey, Delta Commander, I need you to do this? Do you think I did that? No. Yeah. So I had to understand what they're thinking. Where's their mindset? Without authority, I had to influence. And that's where it has to understand, wait, if if, if we all have a boss, right? If you have a boss, which we all do, we can't say, I got to tell the boss what to do. I need the boss to understand. It's like, no, 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 no. I need to be able to communicate under the mind, understanding the mindset of my supervisor so that what I'm communicating to them makes sense in their world from their perspective. Right. That were probably the primary lessons of my tracking down Saddam. No, and it makes it so valuable. To understand that. And I, I talk to, and I know in my consulting, particularly when I'm dealing with the middle and below, and these middle managers, these directors and below, and they feel like they have no influence whatsoever. And I keep telling them over and over again, you have way more influence than you give yourself credit for. Number one, the people that you're accountable for, this middle manager that has a team of eight or ten, those eight or 10 lives, you have way more impact over those eight to 10 lives than the CEO does. And a lot of people don't believe that, but they do. You have way more influence over those eight to 10 than anybody else in the entire organization. And so use that to your advantage and you can start changing the organization bit by bit. And people sit back on their laurels like, oh, I can't do anything until this leader changes. And so you say you got a dysfunctional CEO and he's not the best leader. If you try to, and what you just said, if you try to understand where is this dysfunctional leader coming from and you realize that they have just as much insecurities, limiting beliefs, voices in the head than any, anybody else, 
and you sit there and you can look about where they're weak and you try to augment where they're weak, you don't have to like them. You don't have to be their drinking buddy. It's amazing how organizations can be turned around by this person in the middle, right? And what you're, my point is, is everything you're saying, those tactics, those techniques, and even that example of getting Saddam, that's what it's about. And we all have way more influence than we give ourselves credit for. I love it. This is magical stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Eric, uh, I could talk to you for hours, uh, but for the sake of you know, keeping it within that 30 to 40 minutes, I'm looking at your website, you offering keynotes, consulting, training. Uh, you got book out there. Um, t- how can people f- get in touch with you? How can people find you? Um, and and what, do you, what can you provide for them? So I can be reached on my website, ericmaddox.com, um, info at ericmaddox.com. Obviously, my Facebook, Eric B. Maddox Facebook page. I love to give my message. I love to tell my story based around the power of empathy-based listening. And I like to train leaders, sales folks, in this art of gaining trust through an empathy-based listening, which requires us to, as you say, put our egos behind us. Because when I see the, the eyes light open, light up, when I do the training and tell my story, that's what it's all about, right? Like I love psychology mm-hmm. and we all want to make an impact on this world. When I can see my message, this technique, my training makes an impact on their lives. And they go, Eric, I'm going to use this for my relationships. And my, but with my fan, I'm like, of course you are. You're never going to be looked at the same. The world will see you in a better light forever. It's a great feeling. I mean, it's just a great feeling. Mm-hmm. And I've built my company around this training, this understanding, and this deliberate practice of empathy-based listening. I love it, man. I think you're on the right track. I love what you're doing. You're one of the good ones. I'm so honored to have you in the Dose of Leadership Circle, and uh, I look forward to staying in touch with you. Uh, I love what you're doing, and I hope people uh, check you out because I think the message you're talking about is something we talk about here in Dose of Leadership a lot, and it's something that is sorely needed. And um, I think it's low-hanging fruit for any organization to embrace this uh, if they want to see some immediate results. So uh, more power to you. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for coming on the show, man. And um, maybe we'll get you back some other time. Uh, There's a lot more stuff I'd like to explore with you. But uh, in the meantime, I'll have a link to Eric's website on this post. You can go to doseofleadership.com on this episode with Eric Maddox, and you can uh, connect with him there. Uh, Eric, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening to this special entrepreneurial and leadership series, The Dose of Leadership, brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Make sure to subscribe to Dose of Leadership where you can hear more great stories in this unique and special series. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a listen to all of my Dose of Leadership podcasts and all of my episodes and see why Fortune, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine all recommend this as a must-listen. Dose of Leadership features candid conversations with amazing guests, leading high-performing experts and organizations, large and small, all over the world. Find Dose of Leadership on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and go ahead and visit doseofleadership.com where you can find out more information about the show, myself, my speaking engagements, my keynotes, live seminars, and my mastermind events. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great day.